welcome back to Silly Breakfast. Today on the line, we have Tyler, Ty Guy. How you doing, Tyler? I'm great. We're missing uh, our salty friend. Uh, this yeah, this he's on this vacation, podcast I needs a little seasoning, you know. Yeah, I believe he's on vacation. He's going to no- the Nova Scotia um, for the week, which will be fun. So good for him. Get good good time to get away. Um, you know, probably last vacation they'll probably have before the baby comes. I'm guessing so. It'll be yeah. Uh, you know, the baby moon, baby moon, yeah, is baby real. moon. I believe with her family too. So it'll be a be a fun little thing. So uh, yeah, let's just dive right in and go. What you got, Tyler? So what I have are subs, and I'm talking. It's summertime. You want to bring something to the beach? You bring a sub, submarine sandwich. No, but in all honesty, it's got to be the submarine. The thing that's taken over the news. It leads every news story right now. And it's these these guys racing against time. Nobody knows if they're dead or not at the time that we're recording this and, and hope that for the best for all of them. But really, this is the news story that's taken over. And to be honest, I think that there are a lot of takes on the internet and a lot of them are, are silly and, and hoping on their, uh, praying on their downfall. I'm not at that point. I hope that they come back safe. But this is some part of the world that I have never and may never understand is wanting to submerse yourself miles under the ocean to go look at shipwreckage that I could just see on a VR headset, I'm sure, and have the same exact experience. And then when I've seen all the stuff about how it's controlled with an aftermarket PlayStation controller, it's absolutely absurd how anyone opts into this and then goes onto it, signing a contract being like, yeah, I'm going to go underneath the water in this like bolted in uh, like canister and go miles under the sea so that I can. And, and I just saw on the news tonight, they had enough food for a day trip. They had one sandwich and one water. Wow. That's uh that's, this is whole, the whole thing is not ideal. Um, my claustrophobia is just, <laughs> you know, going haywire, just thinking about this. Um, I do, you know, pray for the best for them and I hope they survive this and everything, but I just, I just don't get it. I, I don't get this sort of thing. This is like, like, this is just like people with fuck you money that think they can do anything. It seems yeah. it's a little, it's just, it's a little, it's just a little extreme. I just, I don't understand. I just don't understand it. If I had a billion dollars and, or if I had the amount of money that I could throw away $250,000 for a 16 hour trip, I, I don't know what, I, I don't even know what I would spend it on. That's so much money to go look at shipwreckage. I, I spent $200 on a flight to Iceland once and I saw shipwreckage on the land. I didn't have to go underwater for it. Yeah, that's that's much more up my up my alley. I think I'd much rather prefer a land ship wreckage uh, than you know deep sea. I mean, it's it's just I mean it's just crazy. Like you know, the, I think one of the, the guy who like set it up is he's like been to space. He's like one of the most like traveled people in the world. The the billionaire that set it up, and he just he's just tempting fate over and over. And I just. There's something about tempting fate that just doesn't, you know, after a while it's, it might catch up to you. And that's really scary and just awful. Honestly, I don't know as though I'd ever want to go to space either. I just no, have no, I have no desire to go to space, space uh, underwater that deep. I, I have too much on this earth that I can breathe my own air and have my own space to explore before I start thinking about space and eight 
thousand leagues under the sea. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's pretty uh, scary. I, I just, you know, go, we, we, we can't rule out the fact that uh, the orcas may have something to do with this. <laughs> oh yeah. After our, after our podcast <laughs> last week, uh, we don't know, you know, what, what they're up to these days. Uh, so we just don't, yeah. we don't want to rule that out. You know, what's even crazier is the fact that, that a lot of these people spent this amount of money. We have two coast guards and navies searching for them right now. We have Canada and the U S searching for them. And they said that the area that they think that they that they could be in is the size of Connecticut, and that's the smallest state that you could possibly a, a statewide search with a bunch of boats with nothing else to look at. It feels like you could find them pretty quickly, but then you have to think about how deep that is. Yeah, especially if they sank. Yeah, if there was supposed to be like a, a like a a switch to bring them back up to. Um, the water, the water level or whatever, but I'm guessing that did not work if they're not found by now, which is terrifying. Yeah, this is absolute nightmare fuel. I can't imagine any worse way to die. This is, I don't even think that Jigsaw from Saw could imagine something this horrific to put somebody through. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. All right, so my what you got? Uh, we're gonna I'm gonna bring it back to the U.S. Open this weekend. So if uh, you remember from last week, I placed a bunch of bets and all my pre-tournament bets lost. So that was great. You know, <laughs> go get, went real went real hard in the bets and not one uh, hit, which was kind of crazy that not one hit. But but on Saturday <laughs> night, I picked one person that I thought was gonna win the tournament. Is he I doubled down after a hotel I, chain? He was named after a hotel chain on Saturday night. I put like 50 bucks on Wyndham Clark to win, uh, for, you know, plus odds. And what happened? Ricky has a disaster of a day. Rory can't hit a putt to save his life. And Wyndham Clark edges out the competition, despite kind of playing a little sketchy down the stretch, but had a, you know, solid 18th hole to, to win the thing and uh that was pretty exciting it was a good u.s open good for Wyndham clark it's his first um when he's it's funny he's uh i think he's had two wins in his last like six starts or something like that that's which is wild so that's, that's incredible lot. for him I, I mean i can see why you would bet on somebody at plus money uh against ricky fowler and and rory to fail i mean that's two- exactly what i did rory is a walking he's been an uh a high level in your face golfer for 15 years now. He he built the Puma golf brand on his back with those orange jerseys. And I don't think he's ever won anything substantial. He's never won a major, right? That Ricky? I can think of. No. Ricky, yeah. Ricky, Ricky has not won a major. He's won uh the players, which is his biggest uh accomplishment, which was awesome. It was great. He it was an awesome tournament. I think in 2014, he finished top five in every major. And that's like that was like the highlight of his career, like that and winning the players. And really, since then, he's been on a downward spiral. But he's been playing better recently. And I, honestly, he's just he's a he's a he seems like a cool a cool guy. Good. For, I'm glad to see him. Like you know, at least fighting fighting for a chance to win. Um. So I, I'm happy for Ricky in general. But I I think that the things he's known most for are never winning a major and having the wings outside of his hat far too long. Yeah, yeah, and and the orange on Sunday. 
I think that one. It's like the- Tiger Red, but uh, <laughs> a mu- to a much lesser extent of a player. <laughs> the red means danger. The orange just means like just speed up so you can get through to the light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. My biggest takeaway from the U.S. Open, and and I watched uh, as much of it as I could. We had family around for Father's Day and everything, and and I typically am just a Sunday golf watcher. I love that it was in prime time. I think that that's such a fun spot, especially during the summer when there's not any other major sports going on with the exception of baseball. So it's a nice alternative to baseball to have that going on. But in the aftermath of Wyndham Clark uh, winning, just the the aftermath of people wanting to cancel him immediately. Apparently, he's a oh big yeah, because he like supporter. posts up. Yeah. He's a big Trump supporter, and and like so stupid. I'm not a huge people. People people love just like breaking people down after they accomplish something <laughs> just just if they like disagree with their values or whatever like i don't agree with things he's like reposted but like i also don't give a shit he's a golfer yeah no i don't if i cared about what my golfers political thoughts were i'm thinking far too much about my golfers yeah exactly i just and i just what he so likes silly. on twitter you know for this mid-level golfer that just was catapulted into fame you know and and it's just very funny to me that I, I could give two fucks. I don't agree with him politically, but I do not care what he, he likes on Twitter. Uh, yeah, of course. Unless it's hilarious, so, like when Jim Brown was liking porn links. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on from golf and let's dive right into some of the Celtics talk because we have oh, a juicy potential trade happening. Juicy we have news. a potential trade happening. We have juicy news. And that is uh, the poor Zingod. Yeah, um, which Tyler named himself after today on the on the <laughs> on the podcast app today. Uh, Porzingis might be coming to Boston for it looks like it would be um, Brogdon and Gallo shipping out. And honestly, my first first thought is after his year last year, where I thought he was tremendous last year, I am very happy. Like I'm gonna miss Brogdon because he's just a gamer. Yeah, but we need another playmaking guard, which I think like a you know more playmaking guard yeah as opposed to the microwave scorer and the spot up shooter like Brogdon but we also need depth at center badly yeah and we noticed that this playoffs we need center depth in a very big way cuz Horford can't be playing 30 plus minutes a game at this point and i just i i'm 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 a fan of Porzingis i all i want is health out of him yeah and him to play well because he's he's like he 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 averaged over like twenty points a game on like great true shooting uh, last year. Yeah, he nearly shot forty percent from three this this past year as a seven foot three guy. He was scoring twenty three points a game, averaging eight rebounds. He is the quintessential player that you want. He is. Uh, it's it seems very weird to say it. At the absolute floor of what Wembenyana is being drafted at, that's Kristaps Porzingis. Is you got a seven foot three guy who can dribble and score off the bounce and can shoot. And Wembenyana is obviously his potential far exceeds that. Porzingis has had his on the court issues with staying healthy. He's twenty seven. He's one of the best on ball defenders that you can have. He can guard guards because of how thin he is. He's quick. He can shot blocker. Uh, you know, he can play stretch four and slide over to five in some lineups. He provides a lot of things that the Celtics have needed for a very long time. 
and that Horford in his prime might have been able to do. But Horford has always been a little bit slow-footed. For he's he's a bulkier forward. Um, they were having him play center, and he's not a center. I think Kristaps yeah. Porzingis could fill in and at least do his best impression of several other very, very good NBA players. And and the way that I like to think of, of it is that at his very best, he could be the type of player. <clears throat> and this isn't to say that he will be that player of Durant on the finals when he was playing center for the Golden State. Yeah, totally. Um, what I what I like about the lineups going into the lineups for next year with Porzingis on the floor is you can play him and Rob at the same time because Rob oh, is yeah. just all down low and Porzingis can stretch the floor like a machine. So you can play them both at the same time. You can, and then you can play Horford and him at the same time, which mm-hmm. is great because it seems like Grant's going to be gone. Uh, looks like the Mavericks are interested in a sign and trade. Yeah, and, uh, and we won't you could get much. like you could play you could have Horford kind of playing that Grant Williams role um, a little bit and then have Porzingis kind of playing center on those lineups. Um, what interests me a lot is what we're going to do with the guard position. Cause it seems like, you know, it seems like we're never going to give up on Marcus smart as the starting guard, but I think Marcus should move to the six man and Derek white should be the starting lineup with my, 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 my ideal starting lineup would be Derek, Jalen, Tatum, Porzingis, and Time Lord, or Horford, whatever, which whatever big, whatever double big lineup. I think the double big lineup is going to be working this year with Porzingis out there. Yeah. I think it's going to be working in a much better fashion with that happening. Yeah, and I think Der- I think Marcus Smart should finally start coming off the bench. I don't know what you think if you think Marcus should be in the um, starting lineup over Derek, but I, for me, I I think with how Derek played last year, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Like I think it's, I think he's earned that starting lineup spot. I, I think that the biggest thing is that I, I've said it on the pod before that I think Marcus smart is the heart and soul of the Celtics. And I think the coaches know that they get to see it in practice and there's, he's the first guard in, in since Gary Payton to win the defensive player of the year, he's earned the right to be on the starting lineup. The problem is, is that he's not the best facilitator and he's not the best at running the offense. I think that it's a double-edged sword. If you move him to the bench, you expect him to be an offensive leader on the bench. And as a person that has watched a lot of Marcus Smart, when he tries to take the the baton as the offensive leader, there's a one in four chance that he's going to put up 30, 35. And the rest of the time, he is going to go one for 12 from three point and have a disgusting game that's going to frustrate you. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, Because, I I mean, six men notoriously are kind of more ball-dominant scorers um, when it comes to the NBA. So, obviously, he doesn't really fit that narrative. But I think that's why we're going to be making more moves. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know... I think a, I think another guard that can score more microwaves type score guard would be ideal fit for this team with Marcus in the second lineup, like as the sixth and seventh men. Yeah, and we're talking about this trade as if it's going to happen, and I really do think it's going to happen. Obviously, this this is a three team trade, and there are big salaries involved because Porzingis is due to get paid thirty six million next year. 
um, if he opts into the contract. Again, I, I said it last week. It's not my money. I don't care how much how much Wick Grouseback pays, and if we're above the salary cap, I just want to see a good team and a team that I enjoy watching, and I'd love to see a championship. But uh, when it comes down to it, I, I have to think about that there is another trade in the mix, and we were texting about it earlier, and uh, apparently John Dalton was uh, or Salty was texting about about Boston sports radio talking about a Cade Cunningham for Jalen Brown trade happening. And if the Porzingis trade was to happen, if it doesn't happen, this is the trade that I would love to see. Yeah. I just, I just don't see it happening. I I, I think Detroit would not give up Cade for Jalen Brown. I know you could put him next to, you have an all-star next to um, what's the, what's the other guard on Detroit? What's his, Jay and Ivy, um, who I love, but, uh, I think, you know, obviously that, that could, you know, mature the team a little bit, but I just don't see them giving up on Cade this early for a, a player that's going to get like $60 million a year after a few years. I just, I don't see it, especially with, you know, Cade still on a rookie contract and everything. So I, I just don't see that happening. I think that's kind of a Boston hopeful trade, like a, like, you know, fan base trade that is not going to work out. Yeah. That seems like one of those trades that you're going to talk about uh, forever, but it's never, ever going to come to fruition. Cade Cunningham's been a great player. Uh, He hasn't really elevated to the level that you'd expect a number one overall pick the number one with a bullet kind of guy to, to be, he was averaging 20 points a game last year. They obviously are way more invested in Jaden Ivey at point guard. This is me trying to sell you on why the, the, the Pistons would do the trade uh, because I just want it to happen so desperately because a player like Cade could allow Marcus to play in the starting lineup. He could be the ball dominant guy. He's a way better passer. He's a facilitator. He's also six foot eight. So he could play off guard in the same way that Jalen does. Yeah, you don't you don't have to sell me on Kate Cunningham. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Kate Cunningham. Uh it was it was a bummer he got hurt last year and everything, but it's uh it like I, I am totally sold on him anyways, going in, uh, but I still think he's Detroit's like favorite person on that team when he's healthy. I think he's going to be the leader of that team eventually and take them hopefully, you know, potentially playing uh playing for the playoffs in a few years. Yeah, and, and, you know, that is the hope. But there are so many teams that don't want to invest the time in two young players and how they – the same way that the Celtics, everyone wanted to trade away Brown or Tatum before they made the finals. They wanted to trade away one of these young players and get the the assured hope that you have in uh, All-Star already, somebody like Jalen Brown. But when, yeah, and, and so many teams get impatient and they want it to happen so much quicker. This Detroit rebuild has been so long and you have two ball dominant guys. I could see them wanting to take somebody like Brown. Uh, and especially since they, they very much like Killian Hayes too. Yeah. I mean, Killian Hayes is uh, not a, not going to have any effect on Kate or Ivy's career. In my opinion, I don't think, I don't think, uh, They'll, uh, I don't think they'll revolve anything around Killian Hayes, who has been a project from the start and, you know, uh, is obviously a good defender and everything, but he's still 
really struggles offensively at times and everything. So no. And, but, but you have to think about it from a roster construction standpoint, and it's the same conversation that the Celtics are having in a very different way where they have Brogdon white and smart and Pritchard, and they don't have enough minutes to give to Pritchard, but Pritchard's number and the, his talent far exceeds the, the amount of money that you've invested in the three other guards. So you're watching Brogdon go at a $20 million cap number, but we would all love to have Brogdon over somebody like Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Um, well, yeah, what's up? I say we dive into the NBA draft now. Um, so starting off, like, obviously, it seems like Wemby's going to the Spurs. Uh, I saw on Twitter that um, Pop drove by a mural that was being done by this artist of Wemby in San Antonio. So, I mean... I mean, we all, it's, it's the most no brainer pick we've had in a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a clear consensus. Number one, he is, you know, one of the most freak talents we've ever seen. Um, but I, you know, I gotta say like, I, I want to be more patient with him than I think a lot of people are going to be because, you know, he's, he, he shot like 20 something percent from three and people are like acting like he's like this, like elite three point shooter. Um, you know, he didn't put up a ton of points a game. Like he's gonna, he's it's gonna, he's gonna be a little bit of a project. And luckily, you know, he has a coach like Pop. Yeah. Um, who in the Spurs organization, who has like you know worked with supreme talent before, with like the Dave Robinsons and, uh, um, Tim Duncan's of the world and everything. But uh, he's gonna be a little bit of a project and. I wouldn't even be like, I expect him to win rookie of the year, but I wouldn't be shocked if uh, someone else won rookie of the year. Like one thing I was thinking about looking at the odds for um, would be for Chet Holmgren for rookie of the year, because he's technically a rookie this year because he didn't play last year and he's eligible for the rookie of the year. And I think he's probably a little more NBA ready at this point because have you seen him this off season? He's jacked now. He's ripped. And I could just see someone like him kind of sneaking out the rookie of the year if, you know, the Spurs str- struggle with Wemby to start people f- or, you know, for most of the year. People forget how good he was and how hyped he was going. And, and I think that Wembenyana is going to have the same uh, type of injury profile that somebody like a Porzingis and Chad Holmgren, all these guys that are very, very long and super skinny are going to have. I think that... Uh, I hope the best for him. I think it would be, it's going to be super fun to watch because he is the uh, evolution of the unicorn player. This long guy that can shoot and dribble and do all of all these things. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I think I, all I'm saying is I just want to be patient with him. Yeah. Like, I don't want, I don't want to like, if he struggles early or whatever, like I don't want to see people tearing him down as like, you know, is like it, he was never going to be, like he's never going to be like this elite player. Oh, like he yeah. absolutely could be. It's just going to be probably a longer timeline than people think, in my opinion. I I, I don't know. Like he, what if he he could be great right right away? But I just think it takes time for these these type of players to actually like excel in the NBA. I think that we need to enter into Tyler's betting corner right now. You know, I I, I want to talk about the the surefire bet. That is uh, betting on Wembenyana right now to be first first overall um, for a cool minus forty thousand. <laughs> you can you can bet right now. So you, so to stake to stake forty thousand dollars, you you uh, 
you have the chance to win a hundred dollars for those of you that that aren't familiar with betting. But I think the yeah, fu- great great odds. I think the funnier bet is if you put a hundred dollars on Victor Wimbanyana to be first overall pick tomorrow, you could win twenty five cents. <laughs> <laughs> so it's well worth awesome. you to stake that. You know, you can buy a piece of bubble gum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even think you can get that nowadays. Yeah, what was what was that gum that like lost its flavor right away? The the little brick like looking ones that had the comics on. Uh, bazooka. Bazooka Bazooka Joe. Yeah, bazooka right? Joe. Was that you could maybe bazooka get John. one Bazooka Joe at a candy store. Yeah, yeah, good for that. All right, let's move on to the number two and three picks. So, uh, it seems like it's going to be Brandon Miller and Scoot going two and three. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of interest around this because uh, reportedly the Hornets are more interested in Miller because they have LaMelo, obviously, already. So they kind of want that shot-creating wing to pair next to LaMelo. Um, and then was it Portland is at three. Like what? Like if they get Scoot, like do you take that extreme talent uh, next to Dame or are you trading that in like Anthony Simons for a, you know, a star player? Because yeah. I think that's entirely possible, but I just want to go back to Hornets because apparently Michael Jordan still has some say in this pick, and I think it's a mistake not to choose Scoot. Um, I think he has the most upside of the two of them. Even though I'm a big fan of Miller, I think he's I I, I think he's definitely a, the th- a, the third best player in the draft. But I just I. I, I think it's so weird to not take like just the best player available that early, even if you have a ball dominant guard already. Yeah. And I mean, Charlotte, Charlotte obviously hasn't been very successful. Otherwise they wouldn't be drafting second overall, but uh, I mean, some of the best moments for Charlotte have been with uh scary Terry and LaMelo playing together. And yeah, yeah, that's a good and, point. And, you know, you could craft a team around it. LaMelo is long enough and tall enough, and he, he wants to pass so much that I think that playing with a, a pure shooter and scorer like Scoot wouldn't be that bad for him. But I, And LaMelo can play off ball, too, because he's a great three-point yeah, shooter. Yeah, exactly. Like he, like, I think he shot, like, like 40% from three last they year. Could re- like, he's a good three-point shooter. They could really work a backcourt defensively by just – dribbling the ball up and having each one of them switch rotations of who's leading the offense. I think that, yeah, I I really like the fit. Honestly, I like both of them together. Um, Or like, you know, you could, you could, you could trade one if you, if you really wanted to, to try to pair like a better star with like, you know, more now upside compared to Brandon Miller, who has just potential upside, you know, you could do a lot with that scoot pick if they, if they get them. Um, and I just, I, I like the two of them together. Like you, I, I'm, I, I think it could work. I think it could work with LaMelo and Scoot. I just don't think that, that LaMelo is a winning basketball player, to be honest with you. I think he chases stats in a way that he's super talented. I just don't think he cares about winning. And, you know, when you watch him, play- dude, I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pull the plug on that a little bit. Charlotte is a disaster. Mm. And how do we know he's not a winning player just because the team sucks? Like we don't, we don't know yet. I got to pull the plug in that. Cause like, we have no idea if he's a winning player just because his teams have been trash. Like he's playing with some awful players and just like such, like such mediocre front office, like just an absolute disaster of a team in general. Like we don't really know what, what he is yet. 
Like he, he has a lot of potential to be a winning player. I mean, people, people said the same things about, you know, Jokic when he was younger and uh, like so, so many players, people have said the same things about. And I, a lot of times it really is the opposite, like where they just get in the right situation and then they become a winning player because it's the right situation for them. Yeah. And I think that maybe I have some preconceived notions based on the ball family's history and especially LaMelo's history. Um, and, and LaMelo's history, uh, uh, for those of you that, that haven't followed the ball family saga, he left high school when he was 14 and started playing in, in foreign countries uh, to earn money. Um, his dad ran the Chino Hills basketball program so that the ball family could score 80 points a night and just, they wouldn't play defense. They'd, they'd hack up, throw up shots. I think that Lonzo has proven that, that he can get beyond that legacy a little bit because of the fact that he's been a challenge scorer in the NBA so far. Um, and it's really unfortunate that his career may be coming to an end a lot earlier than people would have hoped, but I just have some concerns about when I watch him play. Sometimes I watch him thinking about where his stat line is, and maybe it is a result of, of the team being bad, but I can only, I can only judge yeah, him know. on what I've seen. Yeah, I, I know, but I, I just think it's unfair to call people not winning players, but on loser franchises, yeah. you know, cause like we, we just don't know at this point, like maybe with a, uh, without, MJ at the helm, they'll, you know, get some orders in there that can get people in to evaluate talent a little better and put sink a little more effort into the team and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have, I have, I have high hopes for Lamelo. I'm not, the, I've never been the biggest fan of his just cause I just, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't know. I just, he's like kind of an unknown quantity. It's not that I'm not a fan, I guess. That's not the right word. But I, I just think he's an unknown quantity at this point. But he has a, a lot of raw talent and a lot of talent as a shooter, uh, dribbler, and a passer. So I think he could be a winning player. And I just want to see him play with the best available person in the draft. Yeah, and I think to bring it back to the draft, uh, I do have a point about the scoot. I, I, I'll i be honest. I, I haven't really made a whole lot of effort to watch G League Ignite games. So a lot of this black box exists in the draft this year because a lot of the the premier talent has gone to the G League. Uh, I think that it's proven over the last few years that that some of the people find a lot of success out of it and a lot of people find themselves struggling. I mean, we we still have yet to see a whole lot of Jonathan Kaminga who who was one of these high risers out of the G League 2 years ago. But uh, my biggest thing is that obviously Brandon Miller has a lot of question marks. And I think the biggest one is not even the situation that go- went on in Alabama. And obviously this is a little bit tongue in cheek, but I saw an interview with him today in New York and he was asked about the LeBron uh, Michael Jordan debate because he's had to meet Michael Jordan through the pre-draft process. And he went out of his way to say that his goat was Paul George. Yeah, I I think that's more of like uh of a situation where he just wants to model his game after a player, um, and that's like who he models his game after is Paul George. I think a lot of young wings do uh, model their game after Paul George because he's you know obviously was at one time you know one of the best defenders in the league, wing defenders in the league, and he's a pure scorer. 
and he can you know he's he's a good shooter like he he really has like like a healthy paul george has all the traits that a wing wants yeah. so i think that's more of what he's saying there uh like his like his because he i'm sure he doesn't think that paul george is a better player than michael jordan or lebron but for his talent and what he brings to the table paul george is the player most likely to be someone he would model his game after i and, guess is what i would get and, out there and i think that that part of this just shows judgment and the way that the person speaks about things is that is that he has all this trouble at alabama and trouble with decision making and somebody just asked him to decide on whether or not it's mj the guy who might make a decision on drafting him tomorrow or arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, and the only player he's ever seen play in his lifetime of LeBron James. And it's like, why even introduce Paul George, the guy who's never, I don't think he's ever won a playoff series, into it without saying like, I love these two players, but I model my game after Paul George. It doesn't take half a brain cell to rub that together and just be like, oh, Michael Jordan, I want to be drafted second overall. Yeah, yeah. I I hear you, but I, I think it's more just like the modeling after his game thing. He just, you know, probably maybe a little too honest uh, for the press about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I want to go into, do you have any players in the draft, maybe like a little like deeper or even, you know, mid tier, like in the middle, like the past the top three that you just have guys that you're just like backing going into the NBA? Yeah. And, and, I've been right and wrong about a lot of guys over, over time. And I guess I'm going to give two players, two or three players that I really love. And I'm excited to see how they perform in the NBA. And they're really late in the draft process kind of guys. And one guy that uh, he, he just confuses me and I'd be really interested to see what's going to happen because he's flying up a lot of draft boards. So I think the player that I like the most in the draft process, and specifically for the Celtics, is Jame Jaquez Jr. I just think he has excellent footwork. He knows how to score. The Celtics have had success with players like him in the past. And I I think about him as a mobile version of the big baby, uh, uh, Jared Sullinger type scorer, yeah. Brandon, Brandon Bass. Bass. Just he's he's thinner. Obviously, he's not going to be a big body, but he's the wing version of that. And when you watched that deep run that UCLA had uh, several years ago, he was one of the impetuses of the entire offense. He just knows how to get to the rim and score in interesting ways. I like it. I like I like Hame a lot. Um, I think he's a really good player. Who else you got? So in terms of other guys that I got, I really um, I really like Trace Jackson Davis. I think that he was a high rated recruit, and I know that I'm focusing on seniors here, but he's another big bodied guy who has all the athleticism in the world. He plays defense. He scores. He rebounds. And he might not have this off-the-chart potential, but I think that sometimes NBA player, NBA executives fall in love with the potential more than they do actually watching players play basketball. And so then you watch these players come off the board who might never play 
significant minutes in the NBA while you watch somebody like Trace Jackson Davis quietly give you 20 minutes every single night uh, off the bench. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I like him too. I'm a big fan. Um, I got a few guys. I, I have about like like five guys that uh, I have as uh, just players I like. I, I do. I did. Um, I, one guy. I'm sorry, I think, Maddie. I did want to give one other guy before you got it. Oh, yeah. Who is so it? This is a guy I'm very confused about. And he is Bilal Kulibeli. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen him kind of rising up some draft boards. So he's been playing with Wembenyana, and I'm so confused as to if he's actually talented or if we're drafting on just potential. And when players have been drafted on potential alone, there has been a very high ceiling. It's been guys uh, like Giannis drafted on potential alone. And then you have very lows of, of that. And so I'm really interested to see if he's just rising because of the space and the aura that somebody like Wembanyama has created on a not fantastic European team, or if he's actually talented. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right. So let's dive into some of mine. One guy, the first guy I'm going to bring up is someone that I know you like. Um, and that's Anthony Black out of Arkansas. I just feel like he's just like a true playmaker. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought he was excellent last year in college. Uh, just really big fan of him. Uh, I'm going to shoot through these uh, just because I have a bunch. Um, my next is Cason Wallace out of Kentucky. Because honestly, as we all know, I am a huge Derek White fan. And he kind of reminds me of him, that like defensive-minded mm-hmm. guard, um, the, like feisty guard, you know, can actually block shots a little bit and uh, get takes the rim, uh, can like move the offense uh, in a fast paced way. So I, I like I Jason think Wallace. That, I quite think a that bit. one of the things that people are forgetting is that Calipari has prepped players for the NBA and high level NBA players for the last decade, 15 years. And they seem to be falling down the draft as Kentucky has, has done less on the national stage, but then you, but there's still a lot of good players exactly. coming out of there. And it's, it's, uh, his name escapes me. The guy, the guy who's playing for Philly right now, Ty- Tyrese Maxey. Uh, uh, Maxey. Yeah. Of course. Maxey yeah. went lower in the draft and he's one of the better players that came out of that draft. Oh, totally. I, I yeah, uh, that's a good one. All right. So my next guy, um, who I think is the best shooter in the draft and that is Kansas's Grady Dick. Oh, love him. Uh, I just think I think he is a pure shooter, and I think he will help a team right away. Um, whether it's off, even off the bench, uh, is just like you know, kind of like a um, what's his name on the Heat that just played well, Duncan Robinson, um, white guy, Duncan Robinson, kind of like kind of like that, but a little more athletic, maybe. Uh, probably better cutter, even though you know Duncan had a, some pretty good cuts. Takes the rim in that thing, um, but I, I like Grady Dick I'd a lot. I compare him uh, a lot to Tyler like, Hero too. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's a little taller than Tyler. They're right? they're I mean they're six six to six eight type, but but he's yeah. a more talented scorer than Duncan Robinson is, and probably a yeah, better yeah, shooter I agree. than Hero or equal shooter. Yeah, and I I just feel like he's a little low on draft boards from what I've seen. I think like. I honestly, I could see like if like uh, Dallas or someone like that can get a hold of him. I think that'd be great for Luca. Um, the next on my list 
is UConn's Jordan Hawkins, just another really solid shooter. And I think he's going to go later in the draft and be able to help a good team off the bench right away with the shooting and just, you know, just kind of playmaking in general. Uh, but he hit some electric shots in that tournament on that UConn run. National champion. I just, I don't know. He's a winner. I, yeah. National champion. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw, we saw it with uh, uh, Brown uh, on uh, Denver this year and going from national title to champion, but uh, he's just, he, he just seems like he's a winner. He seems like a good shooter. I think he, We'll be able to help a team right away. Um, and then my last guy, probably going much later in the draft, is Jordan Miller out of Miami because that guy is just a player, in my opinion. He's just a winner. He's a player. I just I really like his game. Um, I think he's feisty, like you know, you know, just a feisty player. He's a senior. He's my only senior, I think, on the on my list. But uh, I like him a lot and think he could be you know NBA ready um, pretty soon coming into the draft. Yeah. And, and I think that this draft is one of the first ones where you have a, a peak. Those first three picks are can't miss the next ones down the list. You start to see these teams fall in love with just a lot of talent. I, I I've been looking at mock drafts a lot over the last few days and I'm watching people like Derek lively climb up boards and all these and, and guy uh, what's his name from UCF. These were guys on bad teams. Well, lively was he? he was Duke. Duke. He played bad. <laughs> he's not. A, yeah, I, I was not a fan of him in college. Uh, I think he's has potential on the defensive end, but I just I don't really see him as uh, a great player coming into the NBA at all. I, I don't see why he's rising on boards. I know a lot of people like him, but I could be wrong. I just I just don't see it. Yeah, and and there there's just a lot of noise, I think, in this draft. There are a lot of talented players at the back end of the draft and guys that are very productive in college. And I think about somebody like Jet Howard. He obviously has the NBA pedigree. His dad is is uh, Juwan Howard. He had a lackluster uh, season at Michigan, but Michigan was toiling, and I think a lot of it is his dad's coaching, to be honest with you. You have Chris Murray at the tail end of the draft. His brother had a pretty good rookie season, and he's just a left-handed version of his brother. Yeah, Keegan was great this year for the Sacramento. He was he he set the record for threes by a rookie ever, and he's just a pure shooter. And Chris is very similar, but le- like left-handed as, as one you said. one guy that that I am watching a little bit of is Bryce Sensabaugh too, out of Ohio State. He reminds me a lot, and this is very high praise of SGA, Shea Gildress Alexander, in that he wasn't a highly touted prospect, but he made himself a draft prospect after just one season. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right, let's move on from the NBA draft. Let's dive into a little pop culture, just because that's kind of what we're going to be doing this offseason a little more. And I'll get started this time. Um, so I just finished Poker Face on Peacock, which is uh, Ryan Johnson's kind of uh, mystery um, series featuring Natasha Leone. And I got to say, it is one of the best and most fun shows of the year so far. Um, it's kind of a procedural, if you will, but it's just really fun. Uh, it's a, it has an overarching story, but it is procedural at heart. And I just got to say, it's a really fun series. I highly suggest that if you have Peacock. Um, And then I've been on a movie kick. I've been trying to watch a movie every day. 
And recently I've been watching a lot of, uh, a lot of action films. And so I watched, I had never seen the extraction movies. I'd never seen the first one, but I watched the first one and the second one. And I got to say that is a fun franchise. They're both on Netflix and it is a damn shame. They don't come out in theaters because that is a theater experience movie. In my opinion, I highly suggest checking those out. If you're an action fan, if you're like, if you like the, you know, John wicks um, of the world, and all that and, and all that like mission impossible of the world and all that i stuff. will definitely have to check that I definitely out check that out yeah it's definitely fun then i watched uh fast x <laughs> so fast 10 and it was definitely one of the worst fast movies um it's very convoluted and just kind of sloppy but it's i i have a soft spot for those movies so i still enjoyed it fine enough uh another one i watched that i liked a lot was guy Ritchie's the covenant um that was kind of like it was a cool it was a cool story about um uh a soldier saving uh or a uh, a translator um in i believe afghanistan saving a soldier and then the soldier going on to save him later in the movie um it that's not it's it's not really a spoil it's a, not really a spoilable movie it's just kind of an easy plot line and then i watched the movie plane which has the funniest name of the world uh like what spelling it, it, was, of plane? it was pretty fun though it was like a plane like a okay because it would have been way funnier if it um, was just p-l-a-i-n <laughs> yeah action movie called plane yeah but this it was just a dumb dumb action film that was fun enough i think it's gerard butler uh that was fun and then i saw the new pixar movie elemental and it's kind of getting kind of underwhelming reviews i know it's not it's definitely not top tier pixar but i think it's a really solid pixar film in general it's kind of like an immigrant love story um featuring the elements instead of you know people of course um but honestly I, I enjoyed it fine enough and kids really responded to it. Like I, I, I went to a movie, it was a theater packed with kids and for the first like 20 minutes of the movie, kids were talking the entire time. But as the movie engrossed and the story developed, kids were really like silent for the rest of the movie. And it even got a standing ovation from a bunch of children in the back of the theater, uh, which is kind of cool That's to really see. Cool. Um, yeah. So I, I like that. And so I actually, I've, I've been, uh, kind of start i, I kind of want to start doing little reviews so on my twitter and my letterboxd if you have letterboxd um my name is mjsul1 and i'm going to be doing like just kind of little brief reviews of movies i'm seeing now um just for fun so if you want to check those out check out ch- if you want to check the check out like what my thoughts on some movies that are coming out you know go there twitter or letterboxd and uh so my upcoming slate is on Friday. I'm seeing no hard feelings, the new Jennifer Lawrence movie. Um, that's supposedly pretty funny. Uh, and it's honestly, I'm just happy to see a mid-level comedy with yeah. a star again. Like just like, I, I I'm not expecting like some, like a good movie, but I just want to like see like a raunchy mid-level comedy and that has like some star power behind it. And I, I think that movie, I think this movie is going to be kind of exactly that. And then I'm going to try to see Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson movie sometime this weekend or early next week. So that's what I got for pop culture. Have you been watching anything, listening to anything? I am the worst person on the podcast to be your counterpart on this, because as Maddie knows, and probably uh, the majority of our listeners, because they're mostly friends and family that I'm woefully behind when it comes to, to music uh, movies and film. Um, and I'd like to be able to blame it on, on having a nine month old, but this has just been a trend that's been going on for the last 10 to 15 years. 
I'm watching Yellowstone, the first season right now, and I'm on the third season of of Succession. So I'm I'm one year behind when it comes to HBO uh, series, and about five years behind when it comes to uh, major network and the Paramount network. Beyond that, um, really the only thing that I have pop culture wise is from. 40 years ago and it's just to reference how excited i am about uh this weekend maddie and i are actually going to go see dead and company the final tour two nights in fenway park super excited yes i am so excited uh we there's potential for some uh thunderstorms throughout saturday and sunday i'm hoping that early in the day uh so we don't have to deal with that at night because that would probably pause the show um or ruin it so i'm really hoping we get you know the weather gods on our side for, you know, some empty skies and clear nights for Denko. I'm very excited. I can't wait to see the set list. Um, there's been some great set lists recently. Um, my buddy Greg has seen, I think, two or three shows already on this tour and just really, really, uh, really fired up about it. So it's going to be a it's going to be a fun weekend. We'll have a little fun, fun weekend in Boston. Yeah, I'm just very much looking forward to it. And and that's very indicative of where my my music and headspace and pop culture is at right now. That and uh, that and the sub. Yeah. <laughs> the sub. Yeah. Yeah. The sub. All right. Let's go on to Silly Breakfast. So uh, Tyler came up with this one tonight. And what is your favorite or you know, what is the best sports conspiracy theory? I'll let you go first, Tyler. So I think that the reason that this one popped into my head and one of my favorite ones and one that a lot of people have been behind uh, historically and leading up until this season in several sports is that all draft lotteries are rigged. And I think that really the sports conspiracy, conspiracy theory gods go off on the fact that uh, David Stern froze the envelope for the New York Knicks to win the lottery and get Patrick Ewing. It obviously didn't result in the championship for them. But uh, there has been some conspiracy theories that uh, they wanted Wembenyana to go to San Antonio because they thought that that would be the best spot for him to flourish into a star underneath Pop and with that sort of tutelage. Uh, there's been some thoughts about that happening in hockey this year with the top prospect and guy going to Chicago when Chicago's been down for the last few years. When it comes to to sports conspiracy theories, it might not be the peak, but it is the one that kind of started it all. Yeah, totally. Draft 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 conspiracies are always fun. Um, I fans are rampant on Twitter about draft conspiracies. And, um, and I think that one of the biggest ones is LeBron going to Cleveland Cavaliers, his hometown team. Yep. Totally. Yep. Um, well, so mine, um, so I was actually between two. One, one, one of my favorite ones as just a Boston fan is that, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, bloody sock, Kurt uh, the Red Sox. Kurt Schilling, uh, that it was paint and it wasn't a real bloody sock. It was just inspired the team or whatever. Uh, I'm not picking that. My, I, I think my favorite one of all time, though, is the Jordan conspiracy in that he was secretly suspended for gambling. And that's what led him. To, and th- then he got to play baseball like um, 
<laughs> for a year off essentially that like it like it wasn't it was it was a punishment and he was able to just go and do his own thing play some baseball and then come back strong and win again um i think it's a fun one uh i don't believe it <laughs> but it is a pretty good conspiracy because he is notoriously a big gambler and it was weird that he took that year off so uh what do you what are your thoughts on the I Jordan think that one? is the undisputed goat of all of the the conspiracy theories i do tend to believe it I, i'm kind of the opposite of you it doesn't i think that to hand wave it away and say that his dad was obsessed with watching him play baseball is is to undermine the everything that you know about jordan historically and i mean maybe it is it is kind of occam's razor the easiest is probably the the best solution but he's also a notorious gambler and he's somebody that bets on himself a lot. And uh, it would make sense that David Stern and the NBA would want to preserve his legacy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely the, like, you know, one of the biggest sports conspiracies of all time. And we have, we'll never find out if it's real, but it is a good one. And I yeah. think it's the best. And one. I do have one for honorable mention that, that I've been thinking about okay. is that Cal Ripken's Iron Man streak was preserved. So there's a little known fact that uh, one of the games that he was injured and might not have been able to play in, they delayed the game or they postponed it until the next day. And they said it was because the lights didn't turn on, but there were rumors that he might've been hurt, injured, or had something going on where he might not have, have been able to play. And the biggest rumor around it is that he had caught his wife sleeping with Kevin Costner. And was a, that Ooh, is, that's, juicy. that's a juicy, that's a juicy one. one. And that he was emotionally wrecked and couldn't play that game. And so they didn't want to end the streak without an injury or sickness or something like that, that they, they extended it for heart sickness. Wow. That's a, that's a juicy little theory. I, I, that's a fun one. I like that one. He I was like the that natural. One. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up for tonight. We're getting close to an hour. So thank you for listening to another episode of Silly Breakfast. This has been Maddie and Tyler on the call tonight. Um, come back next week for more. I'm not sure. I think John's still on vacation next week, so it might be just the two of us again. Uh, there's a chance he might pop in, but if not, me and Tyler will be back for you. Um, and yeah, so that's all we got. Thank you, and we love, love you. you. And deuces to Gordon. <laughs> Deuces to Gordon. Hey, you forgot one thing. Shit. Bismack Biombo. Yep. Goodbye.